Today is a special day, and uh, I know that many of you know it. Today we're taking our special offerings for missions here, something we've been talking about for the past four weeks. And by God's grace, over the past two years, we've taken special offerings and seen a massive amount of money come in. I believe two years ago it was just over $16,000. Our goal was $10,000. Um, last year, our goal was to see $20,000 given. We saw, I think it was right around $38,000 Given, I think that that was probably one of the biggest milestones at the Mission Church um, because I just, I, I, I'll never forget that day when we had that. Leon came up to me and, and he's one of our elders here and, and Sean, um, he was an elder at that point. I think they were the counters for that, that Sunday of counting the offering. And I just remember like Sean having tears in his eyes going like, this is so incredible. And so I just want to say thank you, Mission Church, for your generosity over the past few years. We are a very, very generous church. You are a very, very generous church. I don't see who gives or who gives what, but what I do see is that um, our, our giving is much higher than a typical church our size and our age. So thank you for that. Um, what we have been able to be a part of because of this giving is two years ago, we were able to train about 28 um, locals in Sierra Leone, Africa. Um, I believe 25 of them finished the program. Of the 25, 15 of them planted churches over the next two years. Um, the rest, most of them became ministry leaders. Um, last year, um, the majority, half of our $38,000 went to Sierra Leone. The other half, we've earmarked for our prayer and our vision to start a Christian school for those in need, revive Christian school here in Renton. And we were able to take that um, almost right around 18 plus thousand, almost $19,000 um, and use it in Africa to help with some building projects there and then also to further the training there, giving more training to the pastors and then providing training for, for more of the locals there. There are three, um, you, you and I probably call them community groups that, that are meeting and they're ready to become a church plant. The only thing that they are lacking is a trained leader or you know, trained is quite relative in that culture um, when it comes to being a pastor there. Um, they're just lacking a trained individual to help that church get planted. So our prayer is that the funds that are used this, this special offering year, our hope is to send about $15,000 there to further the training of the current pastors, further the training of the locals so more churches will be planted and more of the church plants will become healthy. And then a huge, huge thing that's going to be happening over the next year is our missionaries who are in Sierra Leone who've been playing, being the key players and seeing this church planting um, efforts move forward and the training move forward. They are at the finish line of, of their work. Um, they're going to be here next week. Really excited about that. They came home, I think, a little over a week ago. We talked on the phone with Van this week. Van, I think he's 81. We're going to hear his act. I'm going to ask him how old he is when we bring him up on stage next week. I mean, that's what you do on Father's Day. You ask you know, rude questions. Um, and so uh, they're at the finish line. And so our hope is to use these funds to, you know, prepare these leaders there so there can be a transition between missionary leadership to local leadership. 
Um, and so they're gonna, this is probably going to be their last year. And then our hope is to use about, about $6,000 of the funds that, that we're going to raise here to help rehabilitate a village there called Royanka Village. There's a church plant in that village. I believe there's a little over 100 people in that church. I don't know how big the village is. That village is village is. A lot of villages there are somewhere around 1,000 people, maybe 2,000. So there's a good 800 plus people in Royanka. They don't know Jesus. Some of them maybe have never ever heard the gospel in their life because when you're in the bush out there, you you don't travel. There's no vacations, friend. Um, The only vacation you go on is to go and get water down the road. And so I think it's an opportunity for us as a church to um, help that village get rehabilitated and hopefully help these unbelievers see how great and wonderful Jesus is. That that we here, the Mission Church, thousands of miles away, believe that Jesus is so good that we want to sacrifice our money to show the love of Christ. So I'm fired up about that. And then our hope is to have about $12,000 left over from this special offering and earmark it for the the funds that are needed for year one of Revive Christian School. So our goal, our prayer to God has been, God, would you bring in $33,000 to meet these needs? But I'll tell you what, that's not the mark of success to me. The mark of success, um, I know our elders would say the same thing, is that if we if we just prayed, God, would you bring in $33,000 if it's your will? And God, what is it you're calling us to give and that we would give generously. So I'm excited. You don't want to miss next week, friends, because we'll announce that. And we're going to have the special offering after service here. If you prefer to give online, um, you can go to our website and there's a place to click and you can give online there too. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you are here last week, we... Um, this is going to be kind of a part two message from last week. And if you were here last week, we talked about how Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor in Ephesus. And um, Timothy was walking through some problems in the church of Ephesus. Namely, there were people in the church that were teaching a false gospel. And what they were teaching was, hey, if you really want to be saved, yes, you need Jesus, but that's not good enough. That's not enough. You need to do more. And in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, it talks about how one of the things that they were saying you need to do more of or what you need to do if you're really saved is abstain from eating certain foods and then also to abstain from marriage. So all of you who are married here, the false teachers in that day would be like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm fearful of your salvation And so Paul is writing to Timothy because Timothy, as a young pastor, is walking through with his church and with these false teachers of of how do we walk through disunity in the church and false teachers in the church. And in chapter 6, we see another glimpse of the false teaching that was going on in the church of Ephesus. And what it was is these teachers were saying to the people, hey, if you are a good Christian, if you are... Godly, it is, it will be a means for financial gain. Verse 5 is what it says. In other words, the teachers are saying, hey, if you're really a good Christian, God will bless you extra financially. And Paul writes to Timothy and says, okay, there's a significant issue with that teaching, namely massively false. 
Massively false. And, and unfortunately, we do live in a culture where this teaching still finds its way in certain churches where, hey, if you're a good Christian, God will bless you financially. If you're generous, God will give you more. Maybe he will, but the Bible doesn't promise he will. And so Paul is saying that is false, that God will bless you financially if you are a good Christian. But another thing that these false teachers were implying is not only will God bless you financially if you're a good Christian, but they were implying that that was a life of great gain. A life of great gain was to follow Jesus and then get money. So great gain to them was get money. Following Jesus was just the means to the end. And so Paul has significant issues of this. And in verse 6, what Paul does is he clarifies what great gain is. And so he says, okay, you want great gain in your life? And, And Paul would define great gain as this. A life of joy and delight and hope no matter what your circumstances are. A life of joy and delight and hope when the doctor calls and says it's a chronic illness. When the doctor calls and says you may have a year to live. Or when your friend calls and you hear about the tragedy of a lost one. Or you lose your house or you lose your job. Paul says you want a life of joy and delight and hope in the midst of the darkest seasons of your life. You want great gain? Here it is. It's not By having more money. He says, you want a life of great gain? Here it is. Find your contentment in the gospel and in the gospel alone. And and if you're new here, or if you're wondering, okay, this gospel talk, what what do you mean? What, What is the gospel? The gospel is that you and I are more flawed, more sinful, more rebellious to God than you and I could have ever imagined. Yet, as rebellious as you are, as sinful as you are, as flawed as you are, at the very same time, you are more loved and more accepted in Christ Jesus than you could have ever dared imagine. The gospel is you are broken, you are sinful, you are a rebel against God, but God is so overwhelmingly in love with you that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross as a substitute for the death you deserve, for the wrath of God you deserve, to forgive you of your sins, to give you the righteousness of Jesus Christ and to give you the identity of being a child of God. So that through the gospel, if you know Christ as your Savior, when God looks at you, He doesn't see a sinner. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He looks at you and says, righteous, not not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. And not only that, but He looks at you and says, that's my child. Like, you who have children in here, you get that, right? Like, nobody messes with your kid, right? I never thought I'd get so angry with three-year-olds until I had a three-year-old that got picked on by other three-year-olds, all right? You with me? I'm afraid if my kid ever gets bullied, I'm going to get thrown in jail. We'll edit that out of the sermon here, okay? Come back and bite me, all right? But that's your kid, right? Your kids have certain privileges with you that no other kid in this world has or ever will have. Why? They're your kids. 
And when God looks at you, he didn't say, oh, that's a sinner. Oh, that's a broken person. I want nothing to do with. He looks at those who are in Christ and says, that's my child. I love them as my child. And so however much you love your child, get this, God loves you even more than that. And Paul says, you want a life of great gain? It's not going to come by finding your contentment in having more money or having more things. You want great contentment? Find, you want great gain? Find your contentment in what you have in the gospel and in the gospel alone. Find your contentment in the promises of the gospel that we see throughout scripture. That God is for you and not against you. That Jesus Christ is interceding for you every single moment. That when you pray, God hears you. Paul says, that's a life of great gain. That's a life of unshakable joy, delight, and hope. Find your contentment in the gospel and in the gospel alone. And then, you know what Paul does for the remainder of the chapter? He talks about money. And it might seem like a unique shift. Paul, you you just said... Our greatest gain will come from finding contentment in the gospel, but instead of further flushing that out, you now talk about money. What's your point? What are you doing here? Because Paul understood the same exact thing Jesus had said. Namely, that Paul understands that there will be nothing that will fight for your heart for Jesus more than money. There is nothing that will fight for your complete contentment in the gospel than money and the things money can buy. And so last week, what we walked through is about six or seven verses that lay out what you could call five different benchmarks that Paul gives in regard to money. And the five benchmarks kind of serve as as, as two things. One, they serve as a, a mirror of sorts for us to hold up and go, okay, am I not walking in line with these five benchmarks? Am I finding my contentment in other things than the, than the gospel? Am I finding my contentment in money and not the gospel? And then the other thing these five, benches, five benchmarks do is they, they serve as a roadmap for us. They serve as a roadmap for us to make sure we never fall into this trap of letting our contentment migrate from being in the gospel to being in money. And I'm not going to list all five of those. You can listen online and hear them, but I'll name the last one because it's going to bleed into our conversation today and our text today. And, And the fifth benchmark that Paul gives in making sure that our contentment is in the gospel and the gospel alone and not money is this. That we would use every treasure, treasure would be the money in your bank account, your debit card, your credit card, your checkbook, your house, your apartment, your car, all the stuff that's in the house, in the apartment, in car, that's the treasure. To use every treasure you have in a way that reveals to everyone else around you that you treasure Christ more. So that you would use your house in such a way that when people look in, they know without a doubt in their mind you treasure Christ more than the house itself. You use your car in such a way that it reveals to everyone else around you you treasure Christ more than your car. 
And so I think the way this might look is you ever, you ever see people's lifestyle and you're like, okay, it seems quite clear what they treasure most. Is that just me? Maybe I'm just really judgmental. Sorry. Um, hey, come on. Can, can I get some hands raised? Okay. All right. We've got some safe people in here. Amen. Amen. We can be a talking church. We can be a church here. But that we would use every treasure we have in a way that reveals to everyone else around us we treasure Christ more. And it really does kind of beg a question, okay, well, how do you do that? Like, how do I use my house in a way that reveals that I treasure Christ more than my house? How, how do I use my money in a way that reveals to everyone else around me that I treasure Christ more than money? Let's look at today's text because we're going to see four things that I think answer that question. Two things that we ought to be thinking and two things that we ought to be actively doing. And here's what Paul writes. How do we use every treasure in a way that reveals that we treasure Christ more? Let's look at this. Verse 17, Paul says this. As for the rich in this present age, so that's kind of his opening remark, and now he's about ready to get into it. But before we get into it here, we kind of run into a problem. Paul is addressing rich people. So I, I, we just need to find common ground here for a second. I'm going to ask you a question that you will not feel comfortable to, to answer if, if everyone is looking. So we're going to do heads up, seven up style here and, and close our eyes. And I feel like we're at a point as a pastor, like pastor relationship, you can share things with me that, that I'm not going to call you out on and be like, oh, Dan didn't raise his hand. We know where his heart's at. I, I, won't, I won't do that. I mean, I can't make any promises to you. Uh, but no, I'm teasing. So he, I'm going to ask you a question, and I just want you to raise your hand if you agree. So everyone close their eyes. No one's looking. Close their eyes. Here's my question to you. Would you consider yourself, or you and your family, financially rich? No one's looking. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, we got some participants. Awesome. Okay, you can, you can put them down. Okay, I saw more hands than I thought. Probably not a... Not every, definitely not everyone. I'd say about 20 some odd percent. Those who peaked, right? That was about right? 20 something percent? Um, you, can, you can open up your eyes now. Or if you're praying for me, that's good too. Um, so he, let me ask you this question. What if I said, um, would, would you say that if someone was in the top 5% of the world's wealth, so there's 7 plus billion people in the world, if someone was in the top 5% of the world's wealth, they had more money, more assets than 95% of the rest of the world, would you say that they're rich? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. No judgment. No judgment. Okay. Most of us. Um, those of you who aren't convinced. Okay. How about this one? What if uh, someone is in the top 1% of the world's wealth? They have more money, more assets than 99% of the rest of the world. Would you consider them rich? Okay, um, okay, there's less hands. I don't know what happened there. I think we're on the same base here. So statistically, this is how it plays out. Um, someone who has a combined household, combined household, this isn't just one person working. So if you have a combined household income of over $44,000 a year, you are in the top 5% of the world's wealth. Um, most of us agreed here, you're rich. Congratulations, you're rich today. Yeah! Some of you, you're not as, why aren't you excited? I just told you you're rich. All right, that's on you. Um, if you make household income, household income $52,000 or more, that puts you in the 1% of the world's wealth. So I'm, I, I don't know what you make, but here's what I can say. 
Probably every single one of us, maybe not some of you high school students, but you still live in that household as for now. We're all rich. Congratulations, you're rich. You can go celebrate with a big party. Again, why aren't you as happy? You, You should be happy. So I just, I want us to start from there because the last thing I want us to do is, is to read this passage and go, whoop, doesn't apply to me. I ain't rich. Yeah, you probably are. He says this, charge them not to be haughty. In other words, don't be arrogant. Tell, tell them not to be arrogant. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Basically, what Paul is doing here in this verse is reiterating what he said back in verse 6. He's saying, you want a life of great gain? Don't put your hope in money. Put your hope in God. Don't put your hope in the provision Put your hope in the provider of it all. Why would you put your hope in money when you can put your hope in the one who has sovereignty over all the monies of the world? But here's what I want you to see, because I feel like this is the first step for us to use our treasure in a way that reveals that treasure, that that, that our greatest treasure is Christ. And I think it's a mindset we must have. Notice what Paul says here. This was interesting to me. He says nor to set their hopes on the, what's that word? Uncertainty. He didn't just say, nor to set their hope on riches. He says, the uncertainty of riches. Friends, we must start with the mindset that riches, the only thing they are, are uncertain. And here's what I mean by that. Gallup Poll did a survey, I think this is five plus years ago, and, and they asked people, how much money would you need to make to be rich? Now, you just figured out you're already rich. Um, so you know, you know the answer. So they asked, well, what would it take for someone to be rich? How much money would they need to make a year? And, and the answer was $150,000 a year. That's what, that's what someone needs to make to be considered rich. And so Gallup Poll, in their wisdom, went to the study group of people who were making $150,000 a year and said, hey, do you feel like you're rich? The overwhelming majority, you know what they said? No, we ain't rich. And then they kind of went back to square one, and they, they went to those who were making between thirty-five dollars and $50,000 a year and said, how much money would you need to make to be rich, and their number was $75,000 a year. So Gallup followed up, went to the people who are making $75,000 a year. Hey, would you consider yourself rich? No way. And, and my guess is if I would have started with the question, how much money would you need to make for you to be rich? My guess is a lot of us would have to say, more than I'm making now. More than I'm making now. That is the uncertainty of riches. There's never enough, is there? There's always more that you want. That's what Paul means. Don't set your hope on riches because you will never feel like there is enough. You'll always want more. May we have that mindset. Now he starts talking about practical things we can do that will reveal to those around us that our greatest treasure is Christ. And I'm just going to warn you... Um, This is about ready to get radical, and it's Paul talking, not me. The Apostle Paul says this, They are to do good, to be rich in good works. Now, the next two things he's going to list are are the, the rich in good works that we're supposed to be doing. 
He says, they are to be generous and ready to share. So the first one is this. You want to use your treasure in a way that you treasure Christ more. Here's what you need to do. Be generous. And and it probably begs this question, or maybe I'm just putting it out there. How do you define generosity? Like, like, what is generosity? Is it a number like a thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand, million, billion? I mean, at what point are you generous? There's this really interesting passage in Luke chapter 21 where Jesus is with his disciples. And imagine this one. We, we will not do this at the mission church. He's in the temple, and there's people giving money. Back then, the, literally, the, the, the places where you give money, they, they were out front for everyone to see. And Jesus, again, we won't do this here at the mission church. Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to watch everyone giving. Watch them. And he points out these really, really rich people who are dumping in large sums of money. He says, hey, see them? See them dumping in all that money? And then he points out this poor widow. He says, see her? He says she drops in two little coins, um, which would have been equivalent to one 128th of a work day. So I think that's like six minutes of a work day. So whatever you make in six minutes, that's what she dropped in. And Jesus says to his disciples, do you know who gave more? And the disciples, of course, we know the right answer. Look at them, jumping in, jump, dropping in tons of money. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. What you don't know about that widow is that that's all she had. They gave out of their plenty. That's not generosity. But, but she gave out of her poverty. She gave all that she had. What's generosity? It's giving to the point of sacrifice. Paul's saying, you want to use your treasure in a way that reveals to the world around you, the unbelievers around you, that you treasure Christ more. Be generous to the point of sacrifice. Be generous. Now listen to what he says next, because this is overwhelmingly radical. Paul says, be generous. And then he says, be ready to share. Now, I've preached on this text before a few years ago, and I never noticed this until this time. Notice he doesn't say, be generous and share. He says, be generous and be ready to share. Why doesn't he just say share? Why does Paul make the point, the explicit point, be ready to share? Paul, what are you after here? I think he knows two things. The first thing is this. It's really hard to share financially when you don't prepare yourself financially to share. Like I think many of us, we've ran into that problem in our life where you're like, I just, I don't have the financial margin to share with others who are in need. Paul's saying, then put yourself in a position to do it. Prepare yourself. But here's the biggest reason why I think he said this. I think that when this text was written nearly 2,000 years ago, I have a hunch that the people were falling into a very similar trap that, that so many Americans fall into today. And that is this. 
we fall into this trap of believing that our expenses must rise as our income rises. It's interesting all the things you, 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 you feel like you need once you get that bonus or, or once you get that raise. And, and we've bought into the American culture of, of this thinking of, well, my income rose, so therefore shouldn't my expenses rise? And here's what you'll find. Have you ever noticed that it just seems like everyone's just getting by? Doesn't matter what a person makes, everyone seems to be just getting by. You make $50,000 a year, just getting by. $80,000 a year, just getting by. $150,000 a year, you're just getting by. Why? Because we live in a culture where so many of us, we bought into this idea that as our income rises, well, yeah, our expenses should rise too, right? And Paul is providing for us a drastic different way of doing things. And I think he does it for two reasons. I think he does it for this reason. Paul understands, because what he's saying here is, put a cap on your lifestyle, is what he's saying. And I think he does this for two reasons. One, I think he's saying, put a cap on your lifestyle or it will take you over. Melissa and I, our minds have been blown to how many people we've come in contact in our lives that, that we know decently well, that, that do really well financially. I mean, 80, 90, 100 plus thousand dollars a year, but then they begin to share with us that they have $15,000 of, of credit card debt that they, they can't pay off. They don't have the funds to do it. They don't have the margin to do it. 30 plus thousand dollars worth of, of consumer debt. And it, and it just like blows our mind. Like, how, how is this? Because friends, if you don't put a cap on your lifestyle, it will take you over. It will take you over. Have you ever realized that the more you get, the more you want? It doesn't go backwards, does it? It's, it's like materialism is like an appetite. What do you do when you feed an appetite? Does the ap- what happens to the appetite? Grows, right? Get more hungry. What happens when you starve an appetite? It shrinks. And and Paul's saying, set a cap on your lifestyle because it will take you over if you don't. But he's even making a statement that is is far more, I mean, I'm going to be real with you. I think someone's going to get offended here, but I'm just going to point to the text on this one. Because really what Paul is saying when he says, be ready to share, is he's saying, put a cap on your lifestyle and then give the rest of it away. Two gospel purposes. He's speaking to Christians. Put a cap on your lifestyle and then give the rest away. This is a wrap. John Wesley was a a prominent um, preacher and missionary in the 1700s. Spent a lot of time in England, did missionary work here in America. At the age of 28... He started feeling a conviction he needed to walk into, in this principle. Set a cap on my lifestyle, give the rest away for gospel purposes. So at the age of 28, he was able to make 30 pounds, that's English money, um, and, and, and he lived off 28, he gave two away that year. The next year, doubles in inc- doubled his income. 60 pounds that year, lived off 28, 
gave the rest away, 32 pounds away. Um, by year four, he made 160, no, excuse me, 120 pounds, lived off 28, gave the rest away. That's 92 pounds. This is 1700s. Modern day, that would be him making $160,000 that year, living off of $20,000, mind you, he's a single man, living off of $20,000, and then writing a check for $140,000. One year, he made £1,400. We're talking about millionaire here. Makes 1,400 pounds. And I'll be honest with you, shame on John Wesley, he upped his expense. I, I just kind of fired me up. Instead of, instead of t- spending 28 pounds, he raised his income to 30 pounds that year. Shame on you. Just, just had to get that, that extra horse. <coughs> Lives off 30 that year. Gives the rest away. It's said that when he died in 1791, that in his will, what was left was a few miscellaneous coins that were found in a drawer. Paul is saying, you want to make Christ look great? You want to use your treasure in a way that's going to point every unbeliever in this world to the fact that Jesus is a greater treasure? Not just to you, but to them. Put a cap on your lifestyle and give the rest away. Because listen, people don't know what to do with that. No one's going to get saved by you being a millionaire and living like that. No one's impressed by that. Nobody will. We, we can play the game of no, 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 no. I say, I thank God. And when my unbelieving friends come over, I say, glory be to God, glory be to God. And, and maybe we even point back to verse 17. We're like, Zach, it does say, God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. See, I can use my hundreds of thousands to pad my comfort and to build a bigger house, drive the nicer cars, get a couple of vacations. So I can do that because I am doing this as an act of worship because I'm enjoying my riches. But you got a problem because Jesus said, mm, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So, so maybe when, when Paul talks about enjoyment here, God gives us for our enjoyment. Have you ever thought that maybe God just absolutely blessed you financially so that you can be an overwhelming blessing to others who are not there financially? People don't know what to do with a person who sets a cap on their lifestyle for the sake of giving the rest away. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes this. He says, always be prepared to give an answer when, not if, when people ask you for the hope that you have. When's the last time someone pulled you aside and said, your life is nothing like everyone around us. You have to tell me about the hope that you have. When's the last time someone did that? Friends, if you live like this, 
Maybe not weekly, but my guess is monthly you're going to have people going, why, you, you have the money to go buy other things. Why don't you? You get an opportunity to share with them that you have a greater treasure than your treasure. Here's the trap I beg and plead of you not to fall into. Because my guess is every single one of you, if you're like me, you hear what is said, put a cap on your lifestyle, you got a mortgage, put a cap on it, give the rest away. Paul is not preaching a poverty theology here. Let's, Let's not get that mixed up. He's not preaching a poverty theology here. He's not saying, be really, really poor. He's saying, set a cap on your lifestyle. Probably be good and healthy for your marriage to have some money stowed away for dates. It'd probably be healthy for your family to have vacations you can go on throughout the seasons of your family. It's wise for you to save some money. It's wise to set money aside for maybe college or life insurance. It's wise to do all of those things. But we all know that there is a certain point where we put a cap on it or it will take you over. Put a cap on it and give the rest away. And, and I get that there's some of you in here like, you're like, I'm young. There's a chance for me to be making double what I'm making now. And you're saying I have the opportunity to be giving away 80, 90, $100,000 a year. Zach, you're kind of crazy. No, 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 no. I'm not crazy. The, the Bible is just radical. Because that's what Paul's saying. But here's the mistake I beg and plead for you and I not to fall into is for us to hear this idea of setting a cap on our lifestyle and giving the rest away, may we not fall into the trap of thinking that by doing this, we are now setting a cap on our joy. We are now setting a cap on our delight. May we not fall into the the trap of saying, well, it sounds like this text is asking me to not enjoy life. Do you think John Wesley was kicking himself when he wrote a check for a million dollars to give away? Do you think he got to the end of his life and said, I regret so much giving for the purposes of the gospel? Friends, I don't know about you, but that tens of thousands of dollars we've been able to give away to Sierra Leone I'm pretty sure each and every one of us, if I said, you can have your money back, my guess is none of you, no matter how much of a dire situation you were in, you'd be like, no way. 15 churches planted? Over 1,000 salvations in the past two years? Over 300 baptisms? Are you kidding me? May we not fall into the trap, friends, of, of thinking that by putting a cap on our lifestyle and giving the rest away, is the same thing of putting a cap on our joy. I bet you will be filled with so much more joy. And you know what? People around you will start seeing, wow, Jesus must be pretty darn good for you to sacrifice that. Can you imagine, Mission Church? I mean, can you imagine if this was our culture here? Like, Coma 4 News is coming in here, all right? Like, it's, this is national news. This doesn't happen. This doesn't happen. But man, how awesome would it be if it did? Here's the last thing. He says this. He says, thus storing up 
treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So if you're sitting there going, ah, putting a cap on my lifestyle and giving the rest away is the same thing as putting a cap on my joy. Paul's going, are you kidding me? It's the opposite. You are storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. At this point, he's just flat out quoting Jesus. Jesus said this. Jesus says, you you give your money away for gospel purposes. There are treasures up in heaven that you are storing. And if you're like, what are these treasures? What are they like? I don't know. But here's what I do know. They last for eternity. But the treasures of this day, they don't. They don't. And And I hope you see what Paul sees here. He sees giving away Not just as releasing money, but but investing money. He says, this is an investment. It's an invest. This special offering, we're not spending money. We are investing money in church plans. And then here's what he says. And we made mention of this last week. And it's so important that it needs to be mentioned this week. He says, so that... Which is interesting. That's a connection. So that, and that's connected to be, to, to be generous and to be ready to share. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What's Paul talking about when he says that they may take hold of that which is truly life? What is the only thing in this world that is of true life. The gospel, what we have in the gospel. And so friends, I think this last point needs to be made. How do we use our treasure in a way that reveals that we treasure Christ more? We must constantly see and savor Jesus is better than treasure. And I don't simply say, see Jesus as our greater treasure. Like, have you ever, you ever seen something and you're like, I know that's good. But then you kind of move on. But when you see something and then you start savoring it, like, you don't want anything else. I'm going to give you a ridiculous illustration that maybe will hit home for you. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite meals ever. I see the, the, the smorgasbord, if you will, of the sweet potatoes with marshmallows on them and, and the turkey and, and, I mean, all the great things I see and I know that's good. And then I make my plate and I start eating it. And I'm one of those people that you do not want to eat next to me because I vocal, I worship when I eat. I kid you not. Mmm is what comes out of my mouth over and over again. If you put in front of me anything else for dinner, anything else, you put a steak in front of you, you put anything else in front of me, I'm going to go, I don't want that. This is so good. I don't, I don't want to eat anything other than what's in front of me. It's so, so good. In fact, I'm going to get seconds. I'm going to get sick tonight for the glory of God, Okay. I don't want anything else in that moment because it tastes so good. And I think some of our problems when it comes to money is we see see that Jesus is better. But we don't savor. 
We don't start our morning just going, Jesus, you are, you are, be- you are better than everything. You're just so overwhelmed by what you have in the gospel. You're savoring that so much that no matter what's put in front of you, whether it's riches, whether it's pornography, whatever, it's any kind of temptation, you are savoring Jesus so much. You're like, I don't want anything else. He's better. He's greater. For us to be a church, for us to be a people that uses every treasure in a way that we treasure Christ more, we can't do it out of duty. We can't do it because, well, the Bible says so, I better do it. But we would do it out of joy and delight because we know that Jesus is better. We don't write that check and go, ah, there you go. Okay, I put it in. But then we write that check for a missionary. We, we write that check to that family that's in need. And, and we say, Jesus, thank you for giving me the margin. This is so much better than an upgrade I could get on, on, on a phone or on a car or whatever it is. Because we savor that Jesus is better. And listen to me. People will look in and have no idea what to say other than you have to tell me about your hope. There's something about you. May we be this kind of church. I challenge you to sit down with your spouse, look at your finances, and see how you can set a cap on your lifestyle. Some of you, you got a kid coming, or two kids coming, or five kids coming, and, and you realize, I'm not at a place that I can set a cap on my lifestyle, but I know in five years, we will be. Set a cap, and give the rest away. You won't regret it. You won't. How crazy would that be if that was the DNA of the mission church. Let's pray. Father, your word is radical. This is radical. This is so radical. This is crazy. It's so crazy that people will ask questions. It's so crazy that people will ask us, there's, there's obviously something in your life that is greater than the things you could buy. Tell me, I need to know. Father, may we be a church that uses our treasure in a way that reveals that we treasure you more. May we understand that riches are uncertain. They'll never be enough, so why even go after them? May we be generous to the point of sacrifice. May we set a cap on our life and give the rest away. And may we continually see and savor Jesus that you are so much better than anything. Pray these things in your name. Amen.